All right, guys, I want to tell you about my famous sleep cocktail. It is a formula I created all by myself, and I actually did this before I got to Onnit. So we're going to mention Onnit products here, but I was using these products before I got here. Basically, we're using melatonin. The melatonin spray that we have it on it is going to help you fall asleep, and New Mood is going to help you stay asleep. There's a wealth of products originally designed to help balance neurotransmitters in the brain after a night of partying, if you can read between the lines on that one. But you got one to help you fall asleep, one to help you stay asleep. And then, of course, magnesium, a building block that's absolutely critical, an electrolyte that we need that helps the heart function, the body function, especially at rest. And we want to take that at night. If you have a lot of magnesium during the day, you can have a backdoor blowout extravaganza, which is not fun. Uh, so you have key minerals from on it at night, four capsules of that with two capsules of new mood with a few sprays of the on it melatonin. And that is my ultimate sleep cocktail. You can find those all at onnit.com. And if you go to onnit.com slash podcast, you'll get 10% off your entire order of supplements and foods only. Welcome to the human optimization hour with Kyle Kingsbury presented by on it facelift. Yo, we changed the name one more time. That's all good. And uh, as I've mentioned before, we're ahead of the game. Uh, a lot of these podcasts are recorded a few months ahead of time, not on purpose, just because we've had a wealth of guests come through town, largely due to the influx during Paleo FX week. So you may hear me state that, uh, welcome to the On It podcast. We've got so-and-so on, and that's okay. It is no longer the On It podcast. You have not clicked on the wrong podcast. It is the Human Optimization Hour with Kyle Kingsbury. Here we go. Ooh, baby. We got Ben Greenfield in the house today. The return of Ben Greenfield. We talk about all sorts of cool shit on this show. And really, you know, a lot kind of went off topic. We were talking about hunting and then we got into eating and food. Uh, the best way to make a steak, how to biohack your own dry aging device for dry aging meat. I mean, truly, this guy has a wealth of knowledge in many areas. And we get to the juicy stuff that I wanted to talk about, stem cells. If you heard him on the Joe Rogan Experience talking about stem cells, he obviously talks quite a bit about them in various things that he's done. Uh, but there was one means of administration that I wanted him to dive deeply into, and that's systemic stem cells, which is not legal stateside, which he had the ability to do, intravenous stem cells that go throughout your entire body and help you heal and turn you into fucking Wolverine. And that's what this man's become. I know you guys are going to dig this episode. Thank you for listening. Clappy, clappy on it podcast. Clappy, Actually, happy. Yeah, I don't know. Do we always edit out the, the clap? I do. Okay. So every time that I open a show with clappy, clappy, make daddy happy or any of that kind of shit. People Goes are over like, people's the, heads. Yeah, what, They're like, the why are you saying on? clappy? We do a sound yeah. check. Ryan Giles does a sound check to kind of break the ice of when the podcast starts. I could clap at random points during the podcast episode. Like just I so have, it has a reference like point to listener. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like just, your comment. Exactly. Excellent. <laughs> excellent question, <laughs> Kyle. Excellent question. Man, he's all twitchy today. Actually, it's a, it's this toxic brew of Satan. This is this is Green Mountain Valley decaffeinated coffee. Why why is that toxic brew of Satan? But, well, it's is not it the, the cleanest stuff in the world. What what are you drinking? Some kind of organic organic yerba mate, unicorn tear shit with, uh, from the vanilla vanilla collagen and MCT and uh, grass fed butter. So you, this is my morning move, pretty much on. daily, unless I travel. So I'm I'm wondering if you're doing this because I know frequently you'll do a caffeine break, and obviously you're doing that. Decaf today. Mm -hmm. Do you go decaf when you travel? Or is it just set up like this is the one week each month and I'm going to do it? Sometimes I go decaf when I travel. The seven days out of each month works pretty well. Seven to 10 days to reset your adenosine receptors to make them sensitive to caffeine again. But the reason I'm drinking decaf right now is because uh, on my way over here, I had to have breakfast. And I, I went for a cold swim this morning in Barton Springs, and then I dumped a bunch of ice in a blender over there at the house, and then dumped a giant can of cold brew coffee on top of that with a couple scoops of protein powder. There you go. And I blended. So I've had one right. giant cup of coffee already <laughs> this morning. Cold brew coffee at that. That is why I'm drinking decaf, simply gotcha. because I do not want to explode in a flame of caffeinated glory. Yeah, right that now. wouldn't be good. Yeah, but that 
You know, that's it's funny because you've been here. I mean, you come here every year, but I've never done Barton Springs. Been here for eight months. I hear it's really? amazing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's well, awesome. you have you have Barton Springs, you have Little Eddie, you have Big Eddie. Uh, there's no uh, Stacy. I forget the name of Stacy. It's some. It's not just Stacy. Something else. Anyways, there, there's at least four amazing natural bodies of water in Austin where you can go and do cold thermogenesis or swim. Yeah. I like how we call it. It's kind of like biohacking. You know, when you when you put a bunch of MCT oil and uh, coconut oil and ketones and God knows what else into a blender, and you call that biohacking. Well, when it, when I in, think I think when, when in we... fact all that is is cooking. It's the same thing with cold thermogenesis, right? You go and and you go to Barton Springs or any other cold body of water or your shower in your bathroom, and you turn it on <laughs> cold and you get in. And then we make up a big word for that called cold thermogenesis because it sounds pretty cool. We're doing Heat something special. When in fact, all we are doing is cooking and getting into cold water. We are not biohacking and doing cold thermogenesis. I would argue that you could, I mean, food-based products like MCTs, yeah, it comes from, comes from food. Cocaine comes from a plant too. Mm-hmm. And that's a hack. That's a hack. It hacks. I thought cocaine your, came your from glass tables. I didn't realize it came it from comes, plants. Like cocaine was the side pack <laughs> underneath knew? the I, I always thought it just grew on the glass table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a condensation issue as the water right. you know, evaporates. That's what you're White left powder with. magically just, uh-huh. forms on a clear surface. And clean cut lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue, though, that beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is not found edibly, it's not edibly found in nature to my knowledge, other than outside of MCTs, but that has to be mm-hmm. converted by the liver. So right. You would exactly. say, I would say that could be a loose way, a tiptoe into uh, biohacking. Uh, biohacking, yes. You you yeah. you have to uh, form it endogenously after mm-hmm. you consume something like an MCT. Did you just make up a word, by the way, by saying edibly? Edibly. I'm pretty edibly. sure you just made up I'm, a word. I'm creatively coming up with new things. Creatively coming up with new words and lingo. All shit come, is come up with at some point in time. It's just a matter of how many people mm-hmm. adopt it, right? I mean, just 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 imagine the first man, Adam, surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of animals, and he had to name every single one. I mean, somebody had to come up with Could words Adam like, talk to the somebody animals? Somebody had to come up with words like unicorn and rhinoceros. But did he have beastmaster powers? I don't know. I always just wonder, like, like, did an animal make a noise? And then he decided, I'm going to make that animal a name based on the noise that it just produced. Well, then or, pigs would be called oinks. Right, exactly. And why why aren't pigs called oinks and cows called moos? Although I suppose whatever language he spoke, whether it's was it Hebrew or Arabic or something like that, yeah, maybe the it would be translated differently. The anyways. Hebrew cows sound like cow. Maybe, maybe that's the noise it really, they make. well, that's what I'm thinking. I would I would love to know what language the very first man spoke in order to be able to name all these animals. But it wouldn't be cow because that's English, so it have to be the previous. It'd have to be the Hebrew name for cow, and mm-hmm. that might sound eerily like it, it very well could. So, yeah. if there are any uh, Hebrew speakers out there who know the word for cow, I'm gonna hit my le- boy up. Le- leave a comment no, in the, in the show hot. notes of this podcast and let us know if it sounds eerily like moo. <laughs> it very well could. It could. Yeah. So we've we've loosely defined biohack and our reasons for not appreciating that term, but also still want right. to, to fucking right. push the envelope. Well, I appreciate right? the charge. It's overused. You know, like, it like is overused. Gluten yeah. free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Biohacked my pizza using cauliflower crust. Mm. I get it. But let's dive in here. You you, you and I spoke on a panel uh, at Paleo FX this weekend on biohacking, and there was a lot of cool shit being discussed. One of the things that I was really excited about that just came out today, even though this show will come out in three months, probably July, Um was your guide to the cold tub and you've you've, mm. you've talked it did come out today right i had forgotten about that yeah it, it did came come out just showed a few up in hours mail- ago it showed That's up right. in my mailbox <laughs> forgot about that. so and i just had um you know i was talking with the other guys but i we just interviewed luke story who's one of the guys that you fe- feature yes in that yes and luke uh sent me over his protocol you know he wasn't sure when your your piece was going to drop so now i'm really excited right. that i have a multitude of ways that i can play around with at least hack, maybe not biohacking, but but yes, technology that, that's hacking. Luke's story is what I alluded to in that in that blog post was Luke's story's freezer hack, in which he went to the uh, the the department store and got a freezer large enough to be able to fit a body into a live body, not a dead one. Just just in case folks are wondering, 
uh, and uh, filled it with water, hydrogen peroxide solution to keep it clean, plugged it into a dirty electricity filter to, and, and I believe a, a grounding unit. And then, um, yeah, and, that, and that's his setup. Mine is an above ground pool from aquaticfitness.com. And it's like, an, and I like that because I like to swim mm. when I'm in the cold water and I don't have a body of water near my house. So I can actually turn on the jets on that and swim against the jets. And that even has like a, a, an elastic band you can tie around your waist for added resistance if you want to swim really fast. Uh, Rick Rubin setup is another one I talked about in that blog post. And he has a very, it's, it's a beautiful, like wooden slats and it, and it feeds continuous cold water in and circulates the cold water so that it stays clean again. So he doesn't have to dump chlorine in there. And he has, uh, an ozonator as well that that feeds through that's, that's closer to, uh, I actually put the invoice in the blog post being sure to uh to blur out rick's address and, and phone number of course <laughs> uh and that one is i think closer to like a seven to an eight thousand dollar setup all in so it's a little bit more expensive and then you can go to uh, there's a website coldtub.com and you can get full-on done for you above ground cold tub systems and those are they range they're like 10 to 15k i think the, the, similar the, to the what tiniest Hamilton one uses. that one yeah one person sits in it so we looking we're looking into that for on it uh i think the single which is smaller than like a 22 cubic foot chest freezer is around 2500 but they'll go up to 30 grand if mm -hmm. you want to have like a 12 person unit mm -hmm. the beauty of those is it's like rick's you know like you're right. getting it's filtered there's nothing right. bad in it so you could probably drink the water it's that yes. clean Yes, you know? and and what I did when I did the, uh, are are you familiar with the twenty X that Mark Devine of uh, U.S. CrossFit and the Seal Fit puts on? No. So what he does is he's he's most well known for these Kokoro camps where you can go for for three to four days and just get your your ass kicked. It's like Navy Seal Hell Week for civilians. It's, it's an amazing experience. But you can also <laughs> I'm sure if you everyone's going to sign up. Everybody, yes. <laughs> you, if you if you just want to dip your toes in, you can do like a, a twelve hour event where you get your ass kicked by Navy Seals and commanders for twelve hours, and it's it's you know ruck marching and cold tubs and burpees and beat downs and the goal is not to make you quit but to teach you to become a stronger person to equip you with the breath work and the and the why and the mantra and the focus and everything that you need to develop, to develop the the resilience to be able to to get through a day like that so you come out on the other end stronger you know as a stronger person able to handle more in life than you did at the beginning so uh, Mark came up to my home in Spokane, Washington, where you've been. You've been out in my driveway. And we wanted, of course, as part of that experience, to get people in and out of ice, uh, in, in and out of the cold tubs. And in many cases, it's not just you're in the cold tub, but you've got, let's say, like a, a straw or a plastic bottle. And you got to go underwater and control your breath and the mm. slight claustrophobia that develops when you're submerged underneath the ice yeah. and breathe through like a cutoff plastic bottle or a straw. And what we did was we went to the feed store and we just got a bunch of these feed tubs, right? That cattle would feed out of, or uh, we've established now that they're called moos. So uh, <laughs> I think we've traced that, it back far that, enough that, that, that the Hebrew moos would drink out of and uh, just put a bunch of those out in the driveway. You fill those with ice, with water. And so, so kind of like the, the poor man's solution is you literally can just go to the feed store and get big old tubs and that's i those. got a horse trough off amazon prime ship free yeah. for 180 bucks there you go the issue God was i was spending 60 to 80 on ice every time i wanted to have my, my wife exactly. do an ice bath plus the opportunity cost and time spent filling it with ice and water yeah, and all the plastic bags that went yeah. into the bay area thanks to that floating mm -hmm. around trash i throw my stuff in the trash but who knows what happens when the mm -hmm. when the truck comes by to lift it up in the air and shit when gust comes through it's 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 just so much more convenient to have one at your house mm -hmm. and it's five it was 500 bucks new from homedepot.com for me no affiliate but um you can find them on craigslist matt vincent was telling me and kelly Strett were saying you can find them on craigslist in a lot of places for three to 350 uh which for the, the chest freezer the chest freezer yeah yeah and most yeah. people aren't gonna Absolutely. need um i just i just bought a chest freezer for 90 bucks a huge chest freezer because oh, I, I got back from kona and i had like 300 pounds of meat and I started to freak out because it wouldn't it wouldn't fit 
in I'm in, beyond in a jealous smaller right freezer. Now. So I I literally had a had a huge cow and a and a and a macadamia nut fed pig just chock full of fats and this wild sheep that I shot down there. And I came back, I shipped it back in coolers, and then I realized, well, shoot, I don't have enough space because, you know, opening the kimono, you know, as a, as a blogger and a podcaster in the nutrition industry, I get folks like, you know, Butcher Box and U.S. Wellness Meats mm-hmm. and, and uh, Vital Choice and all these amazing meat and fish producers sending me meat. So my freezer often does have these little vacuum-packed, you know, sealed bags of meat, but I, of course prefer to eat my own meat. I like to know where it came from. I like to be able to bite into a juicy steak and know that, you know, I, I took this 60 yard shot downhill through the jungle to put this thing down. And, and, you know, there, there's a story and, and this sense of connectedness when you eat an animal like that. So I have all this meat dry aging in, in a fridge that I built back home. You know, also that I bought for, for pennies on the dollar on Craigslist. And, you do your own dry aging. Um, How long do you do that for? So it's, it's been aging now for two and a half weeks um i'll give this stuff about a three week dry age so when i get back i will i'll take it out of the fridge what what i did i realized we're going down a lot of rabbit holes here but uh, uh very quickly returning back to the chest freezer thing I, I i bought that chest freezer for the meat not for a cold soak but not for your you know, own to, meat yeah, wagon. To, to close to close that loop you, you can get them pretty cheap on on craigslist yes yeah. as you can with just about anything that rich people buy that they realize that they don't want such as incline treadmills uh concept two rowing machines it, yeah i got an assault bike for for 200 bucks it's amazing how many rich people think that they are going to lose weight and become ripped and and transform themselves in the next cover model on men's health or women's health and then realize a few weeks in that that they don't want to use this thing because it's painful and it produces lactic acid so they're going to sell it on on craigslist it still takes and work then, and then yeah it still <laughs> takes work it doesn't, doesn't do the, the work for you and then you pick it up and now we have a lot of, of pissed off rich fit people listening into the podcast. Well, at least they get uh, a couple. It's nice for them, too, because they can get a couple hundred bucks back. Right. Right. You know, exactly. I'm not using and my you altitude come machine. away for them. Yeah. Uh, anyways, though. Yes. Yeah, so so anything you want, look on Craigslist first. Uh, the uh, the meat, though, the what, what I did was I bought a refrigerator off of Craigslist because you can you can get from from Europe uh, five to six thousand dollar very fancy dry aging refrigerators but you can also build one for yourself for less than $200. And you, you get a refrigerator, wow. just a normal refrigerator, and you can get what's called an A419 temperature controlling unit. And all, it's a very, very cool thing. It's, it's a, You can get it on Amazon, and you plug your refrigerator into that unit rather than plugging the refrigerator into your wall outlet. And then using that unit, you can override the normal temperature control of a refrigerator. And you can say, I want this refrigerator to always run at, say, uh, 37 degrees or 38 degrees. And, and the ideal temperature for amazing dry-aged meat is 34 to 38 degrees. So th- that's the first thing is you plug the refrigerator into an A419 temperature controller. The next thing that you do is you get a, a fan, just a, a normal, you know, small fan unit to to circulate air inside the refrigerator and that you set on the bottom of the refrigerator so it's blowing air up at the meat right so you've got your fan you've got your external temperature controller and then you want to keep the humidity somewhere between about 50 and 60 percent that's mm-hmm. ideal for dry age meat. You know, when you when you go and you and you go to like these deep dark cellars, you know, in like France or Italy where they're making, you know, prosciuttos and all these these hung meats, that that's about the humidity that you get is fifty to sixty percent. So you get a humidifier, and there are humidifiers that you can purchase off of Amazon, for example, that allow you to adjust the actual humidity, right? So rather than being just a humidifier that humidifies the air, you can adjust it to be 60%, 70%, 80%, whatever you want. So that goes next to the fan in the bottom of the refrigerator. Mm. Now, the the final component, aside from the actual meat itself that you'd put into the refrigerator, is I have a little, a little probe that's there in the refrigerator and it feeds into my kitchen to, a, to just this, this and, and this, this was, you know, maybe like eight to $9 again on Amazon. And it shows me when I'm in my kitchen in the home, what the temperature and the humidity is in the fridge that's in the garage. 
So should shit hit the fan and, you know, the, the power outlet go out in the garage or the humidifier or something break, I don't have uh, $500 worth of meat that's going to spoil. I can just see right there in my kitchen, oh, hey, the temperature in the refrigerator is at like 40, 41, so it's, it's too warm. My meat's going to spoil. So I have all that out in my garage. And what I do is I, I put all the meat on shelves and it develops this crust and an enzyme as well as bacteria form on the outside of the meat. And that's what tenderizes the meat. So you can transform, you know, this wild jungle cow from Hawaii that's that's normally very tough and and gamey. almost like a yeah. yeah, tough and gamey. You hang that and and you quadruple the value and the flavor and the texture of that meat and when you take it out it's a net it's nasty it's it's got like this blackish brown crusty outer layer on it and before i left to come here to austin i i grabbed one piece out of the refrigerator and, and i sharpened my knife on a sharpening stone and i cut away the crust on the outside of this meat and it, and it was just the most tender flavorful almost like almost like a piece of sashimi right this meat or, or the, uh, the the kobe beef and i and i cut through with a knife and it was just like butter and it's still got another you know that this was six days ago so it's been still in there for for a little still bit so when i get going. home before i head off to i'm racing a spartan race in montana this weekend if my neck's not broken we can talk about <laughs> that later and uh so so between now and then i'll, I'll get home and my boys and i will get all that meat out and and we'll We'll shave it and we'll we'll cut it. And then for the stuff we're not gonna eat right away, I've got a vacuum pack sealer. And so I'll, I'll seal that in, in vacuum bags and put that in the freezer. And that's how I treat and dry age my meat in a refrigerator that is a, a done for you refrigerator off of, off of Craigslist and Amazon. Nailed it. You're, you're, so you're surprisingly a foodie. You know, like when, when I was at your house, I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm down to have medicinal food. And the shake we right. made was not the best tasting. I could still drink it. It was still drinkable. It looks but I like mean, cat's diarrhea. <laughs> as far as the nutrient content, though, I mean, it was truly, mm. it's superfood. It's many mm. superfoods combined into one thing. But when you cook steak for us at Aubrey's, when we were doing our rock, rock stacking oh, over the weekend, yeah. that was the best steak I've ever had. Like, you were like, grab yeah. a bone. I was like, yeah. all right. Thinking like, this might be a little tough without a yeah. knife and fork. Well, I, I, I can I can tell and you and the working. listeners how to how to make the the best uh, the best bone and ribeye. Do you want, want me to fill you in? Yeah. Okay. It's 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 actually quite simple. Um, what I use for this is a bone in ribeye, and and the bone in just it, it knocks the socks off of a off of a, a deboned cut because you get all that that flavorful meat that's next to the bone and plus you get that that primal feeling of grabbing the bone and chewing the meat off and in our home at the greenfield house everybody knows you can eat with your hands whenever you want because it, you just feel like you're more intimately connected to the food so what i do when i'm not eating an animal that i've hunted that's bone in is i get these uh these uh it's a company called us wellness meats i've tried a lot of bone ins and they do a they do a uh, French cut bone-in ribeye that's grass-fed and grass-finished. And these are big old, like 16 to 20 ounce ribeye cuts. They're they're quite amazing. And they send them up to your house. And even though they're frozen, they're flash frozen. It, it doesn't seem to affect the, the texture, the flavor of the meat at all. As a matter of fact, I've never had any bone-in steak that's better than these U.S. wellness meats, French cut ribeye bone-ins, aside from one small little known spot in Malibu. It's called uh, Old Place. Have you been to Old Place in Malibu before? I have not. I've only I've okay. eaten only a few times out there in Malibu. Okay. If you get a chance and you got to call ahead to get a reservation, you need to go to Old Place in Malibu, and they have a bone-in filet mignon, and it's just this old, dark, cowboyish. It's not a bar as much as it is just like a like a hut hidden away off the edge there, up in uh, forget the name of the canyon that that you drive up through Malibu. Anybody who lives in LA right now is just screaming the name of it, but I don't, I don't recall. Anyways, it, so it's called Old Place out in Malibu, and they've got uh, you know these big bowls of of clams and bone broth and and a, a house made sourdough bread and roasted vegetables and and it's it's just this amazing place where you go to eat meat with cowboys. 
And mm. that's basically cowboy, cowboys, cowboys and celebrities <laughs> dressed up as cowboys. So, but you, and you walk in there and, and, you know, you can get, get a little, uh, you know, cheap, cheapo glass thing of wine and, and these old beat up plates, but, but it's just the best meat, the best meat in terms of the way they age it and their source. But anyways, they have a bone in filet mignon and that bone in filet mignon is the only cut of meat I've had that rivals these bone-in French cut ribeye steaks from US Wellness Meats. So add that to your bucket list to go to Old Place in Malibu and have a bone-in filet mignon, preferably with a bucket of clams, a little piece of sourdough bread, and some of their roasted vegetables. It's an amazing meal. You'll you'll be in heaven. But back to these, back to these ribeyes. Here's how to do the perfect ribeye. What you do is is you'll take out the ribeye and you want to make sure it's at room temperature. And while it's 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 heating up to room temperature after you've taken out of the fridge or the freezer. How long does that you, take typically if you're pulling it out of the fridge? 45 to 60 minutes. Okay. 45 to 60 minutes is typically what I'll leave the meat out on the on the counter. So so you know I take it out of the bag, it's out on the counter, it's on a plate, and while it's there on the counter, I put a few things on it. Number one, a very good coarse salt. Uh, I like this this Aztec salt that I use. It's called Kalima salt. It comes in this white bag. I've got it in my in my bag right outside your office. Travel right everywhere now. with I it. I travel everywhere with it. I, we, were, we were eating at Odd Duck last night and just passing around this stuff like candy. You just sprinkle it on anything and it ups it it'll up a a, a dish that's a nine on a scale of one to ten to a ten on a scale of one to ten. It's just deep, flavorful, toxin free, non aluminum clumped up salt it's mm. amazing so i i coat both sides of the steak with this coarse kalima salt the next thing i put on there is just a, a fresh ground black pepper if you can if you can roast your black peppercorns they're much better like if you put them on a cast iron skillet roast them then put them back in the in the pepper grinder you actually get far more flavor out of the peppercorns but you can also just you know just use your basic black peppercorn grinder if you don't have a chance to roast the peppercorns fine so you got the salt and the pepper. The next is cayenne, little sprinkling of cayenne. Did you get that that kick when you had that steak the other oh, yeah. night at Aubrey's? Packed full yeah, of you got to have a little bit of the cayenne on there. I found that, and and even even my boys and my wife aren't as into spicy foods as I am. They like it when I put the cayenne on there. Just a little sprinkling of cayenne on either side, and then to reduce the carcinogens and also to add even more flavor, rosemary. And in the absence of rosemary, I'll use you know thyme or, or something else. But but rosemary is kind of kind of the gold standard for steak, All right? So you got your rosemary, your cayenne pepper, your black pepper, and a really good salt, preferably a coarse salt, and you coat and press that into both sides of the steak. So you got your steak out; it's at room temperature. Now the next thing you do is you get a good cast iron skillet, really good cast iron skillet, and you want to preheat the skillet. So you turn on the oven and you'll want to leave the oven on anyways for a step that I'll, I'll tell you about in, in just a second here, but you heat the skillet, right? So, so once the skillet is hot to the touch and you'll want to put it in the oven for five to 10 minutes, it doesn't need that long. Then you take the skillet out and you place that on, on the stovetop and you put the stovetop up to high for the, for the burner. And then you put a really good olive oil in a really good olive oil, like a super high antioxidant. You know, some olive oils are just a golden, clear, translucent olive oil that you'd get at the at the grocery store. Max Lugavere was talking about that. You want it to be dark. Oh, and you green. want it green and dark and flaky and, mm. and spicy and pungent when you smell it. I, I'm actually part of an olive oil club. It's called the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And each quarter, they send three bottles of olive oil to your home. And it's from a different area of the, of the world always. So I think this last shipment from, was from Spain. They do Italy. They do Australia. It's the most amazing olive oil that I've ever had in my life. I've ever, What's it, the name of the it, company? It's, it's an experience when you open this olive oil and you, and you take a shot glass of it and you can have, I mean, they, it comes with this, this, uh, this brochure where you can read about the farms and the families and the trees and the, and the climate and the terroir and the soil and where each of these different olive oils come from and how the trees have been treated and grown. So it's what I do is I sit down with the olive oils when this olive oil shipment comes and I read these brochures and my boys join me. Now we pour the olive oil in the shot glasses and we smell it and, and swirl it underneath our noses and taste it. And it's like one of these wine tasting parties, except for olive oil. It's amazing. It's called the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. 
and and it's three bottles every quarter. So these are the oils that I use for the steaks, right? And and typically I'll choose one of their more, more bold flavors for the steaks because usually they'll send you a mild, a medium, and a bold. So the three bottles kind of allow you to span the gamut depending on what you want. And, and a bold works really well with a good strong meat. So anyways, you've got your cast iron skillet heated, right? And then you place it on top of the stovetop where, where you'll put the burner up on high and you pour the olive oil, you know, enough to, to coat the entire bottom of the pan. It's probably two to three tablespoons. I just eyeball it. I don't measure a lot when I cook, but the olive oil is, is heating now. And you want to get the olive oil up to the point where when you drop the steak in there, it just starts to sizzle right away so that you are getting a good crust on the outside of the steak, but you're not cooking the inside. If you cook the steaks too slowly, you're not going to get the crusty part on the outside unless the steak is up to a medium to a well done, right? And you want you want a good, good cut of meat to be rare to medium rare. Mm-hmm. That's how you get the most flavor out of it. What we had the other night at at, at Aubrey's when I did that cook off was was it was about medium rare. So anyways, you've got your olive oil heated in the skillet and that cast iron skillet has already been preheated in the oven. So the olive oil heats up even more. Now, once that olive oil is hot, about two minutes or so, three minutes, if the burner's on high, that'll get that olive oil up to temperature. Then you take your steak, which you've already pre-coated with the black pepper and the salt and the cayenne and the rosemary, and you drop it into that cast iron skillet. And the golden amount of time, the, the perfect amount of time is approximately three minutes for the rare side of medium rare. Four minutes if you want to get closer to a slightly better done form of medium rare. That's per side, right? So you're doing, let's say, uh, I, I like mine closer to rare. So three minutes on one side, and then you simply flip the steak, and you go three minutes on the other side. Now, as you're doing your three and three, or your four and four, or somewhere in between on either side of that steak, you turn your oven from whatever temperature that you had it on to preheat that cast iron skillet, you bring it up to broil. Right, so now you've got the oven on broil as that steak's cooking on either side. So once you've gotten your three to four minutes on both sides of the steak, then you take that entire cast iron skillet with the steak still in it and you throw it in the oven underneath the broiler. And it's very, very simple. You broil for one minute on one side and then you broil for one minute on the other side. Now, the reason that I go through these steps is to get that perfect, crusty, crunchy texture on the outside of the steak while leaving the inside of the steak rare to medium rare. So once I've got one minute in the broiler on either side, right? So I reach in after 60 seconds, I flip the steak, mm-hmm. right? And then leave it another 60 seconds under that broiler. Then I take this, the entire cast iron skillet back out. I take the steak off of the cast iron skillet and I put it on a plate or a platter or whatever might happen to be next to the stovetop. And then you take a giant slab of butter, really good grass fed butter. Right, and you put that in the cast iron skillet. And if you have an infused butter, um, you know I, I have this thing called a magical butter machine at home, and it Isn't allows that for weed. It's for weed. <laughs> I, I, I make amazing edibles, by the way, but I, I can fill you in on those later. But you can take a garlic or thyme or or mint or any other thing that you'd want to infuse a butter with. And you simply do a countertop immersion with the butter in this magical butter machine. You can make some really good infused butters if you want to amp up the flavor of the steak even more. A garlic butter is actually really nice. If you have a magical butter machine, you can do a garlic infused butter. But, it, you know, for example, we had the other night, just regular butter, right? So, so you put the butter in the cast iron skillet. And you've got the burner back on high, right? And you just leave the butter in there for maybe 20 seconds, right? You'll see it start to melt. You want to make sure the butter's not smoking or browning or anything like that. Just enough to make sure that that butter's becoming a liquid. Then you put the steak back on top of the butter. Just slap that steak right back on top of the butter. Go one minute on one side on top of the butter. Flip it. Go one minute on the other side on top of the butter. And then you remove the steak from the grill. Let it rest for about three to four minutes. And then go to heaven. Bite it. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yes. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. For sure, a top three steak I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And I was eating with yeah. my hands with absolutely no problems, no knife or, or fork necessary. Yep. Yeah. Just incredible. And the, the only thing that I would add in there is that I will occasionally take a little bit of like that stone mustard, you know, like a really good, high quality mustard. And I actually like to dip an amazing steak in just a little bit of mustard. 
for some mm. reason that, that just like i've adds, never adds done it's funny it. you say that i love i mean german food some of my favorite food on earth because mm -hmm. you can eat keto there you've got all the different types of sausages and really high-end mustards and high-end sauerkraut mm -hmm. right so it's it's a phenomenal meal for me but i've only played with the different cuts of sausages and, and usually that's pork never mm -hmm. with steak yeah it's interesting yeah I, li I like it with a little bit of mustard on it i know that that to some people is is as bastardizing as ketchup but <laughs> I, I like to dip a good steak in mustard so uh so that that's about it and then when i'm eating the steak i'll have a little bit of that extra coarse salt just to kind of sprinkle on the bone as i'm chewing on the bone and and finishing it oh i i left off one part you're going to have a ton of really great juices in that pan from both the butter the olive oil and any flavors that have come off the steak you want to, as soon as you've, as you've plated that steak, you want to pour those oils on top of the steak, right? So, so you actually, I didn't, I didn't really realize the importance of that until I ate at a, a Peter Luger steakhouse in Brooklyn and they brought the steaks out and it, 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 that that's also an experience. You walk in there and, and the, the Brooklyn based waiters are they They're trained to just treat you like shit, right? Like, yeah, what do you want? Yeah, I actually went there with with world famous chef David Boulay, and uh, and and he's of course he he, kn he knows steak and meat backwards and forwards, and he was explaining what he wanted, and and the waiters just staring at him, and the waiters like, no, you don't want it that way. We're gonna cook the steak this way. This is how. This is exactly how we're gonna serve it to you. No, sir, you don't want that steak medium rare. You want that one rare. And you know this world famous chef is looking up at this waiter, just treating him like shit, and and David's just like, okay, okay, just. Do, do you think I'll eat it? And um, anyway, so what they did when they brought out the steaks was they brought out the entire pan that the steaks had been cooked in and they had a special, uh, like a, like a, I don't know what it was called, but they set the pan on the table in such a way that we were able to pour the juices from that pan that they cooked the steak in over top of the steak. Mm. And so when I got home, that's what I started doing was I'd take that cast iron skillet. And as soon as I plated my steak, I take all the oils and the juices that I'd normally just I'd go down the sink when I'm cleaning the pan. Right. And I instead pour those over the steak and it, and it lends an, an added five to 10% of flavor to the steak and a little bit. Of, and that's what I did in those steaks as well. When I served them the other night, when we, when we had the steaks was I poured the oil and the butter juice, just all the juices right over the steak. So, uh, and, and then of course you've got a plate that's got a bunch of juice and oil on it when you finished your steak. So the last thing you need is just a little bit of an amazing sourdough bread to, to sop, that sop up. it up, sop it up, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We've been going balls deep on food and I love it. What got you into hunting? Cause obviously this is a big part of how you have this connection to your food and, and it's something I'd most definitely want to get involved with you, you know, since getting to meet Dudley and getting my own bow. We need to go hunting. We got to yeah. do it. We yeah. got to do it. Yeah. How often do you get skunked when you're on these hunts? All the time. I'm a, I'm a pretty shitty hunter. I, <laughs> I did not grow up hunting. I, I picked up uh, firearm hunting about uh, five years ago. And for two years, I, I would go out and I'd hunt whitetail up in Washington, which, you know, it's a difficult animal to hunt. They're, they're extremely smart. Uh, they have amazing noses. And uh, with, a, with a rifle, they're not that hard to, uh, as many of my friends say, catch Right. Did you catch a deer? I'm like, no, I was not hiding up in a tree with a with a knife in my mouth like a pirate to jump down and <laughs> wrap my I, I I shot a deer. I did not catch one. Uh, and for, for me, being a guy who who's just immersed in the fitness industry and I want to use my fitness and I want to I want to go out and experience everything that it is to sight and to smell and to track and to hunt an animal, even if it's if it's uh, almost almost a stupid thing, evolution from an evolutionary standpoint, it's stupid to hunt an animal with a bow when you have a rifle available, right? It's it's calorically expensive, it's time consuming, but if you want to hunt for the full experience and you want to challenge yourself and you want to you want to even use your fitness or challenge your fitness and make it a fair fight, you know, there's there's all sorts of reasons that I think bow hunting trumps hunting with a firearm. Ultimately, I switched from firearm hunting to bow hunting for, for all of those reasons. I would see people bow hunting or watch YouTube videos of people bow hunting or, uh, you know, I, I subscribed to bow hunting magazine even before I became a bow hunter just because I was so interested in the sport. 
And I, I realized just how, how superior it is to firearm hunting when it comes to truly challenging someone's mind and body out in the field. So I purchased a bow and I, I began to shoot with the bow. And after about eight months, I went on my, my first hunt. And, uh, I, I've certainly since then, uh, had, had failed hunts, you know, two completely failed six day elk hunts coming back completely empty handed. And then I've had other hunts like this last one in Hawaii where I've gotten, you know, sheep and pig and cow. Uh, I've gotten whitetail. I've gotten, uh, axis deer actually right down here in Texas, uh, and it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing way to hunt. But yeah, I remember that, uh, you know, I was homeschooled and so I'm very used to just educating myself. I'm actually a little bit resistant to, I, I don't like to be taught, right? Like I had to teach myself for better or for worse. So I remember the very first whitetail that I shot with my bow, I was out in the field hunched over a, a YouTube video you know, learning how to field dress myself. Cause that was the first solo hunt I'd been on, you know, not hunting with other people. And, and I was teaching myself how to field dress just there, you know, with my little white surgical gloves on, you know, pressing play on the YouTube video and getting blood all over my phone then going back to the animal and back to the phone and back to the animal. And it took me like three hours to field dress my first white tail. Uh, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I've been, I've, been, I've been legitimately bow hunting, I would say, for about two and a half years. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm now attempting to win the national title for the world's you know, fittest bow hunter doing these trained hunt competitions. And so I'm trying to really, really combine my, my fitnessing with my hunting skills. And uh, ultimately, if, if you could give me two, I guess, almost like sports or fitness activities on the face of the planet that I could ever do for the rest of my life, it would be bow hunting and spearfishing. I mean, you really can't get much more functional than that when it comes to your fitness, and it pairs quite perfectly with my love for preparing meat and cooking. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. dive in to stem cells. You were just on the Rogan Experience, and obviously, you know, you're doing a lot for, for was it men's health or men's fitness? Yeah, yeah. So it, I'm not trying to go was, down that rabbit hole. That's what I'm getting yeah, at. You, you, know, know. you don't want to talk but about dick The dick stuff, right. the dick stuff was cool. That, if you that wanna, horse has been kicked to death. If you want to, if you want to hear more about that, please listen to Ben on the Rogan Experience. Excellent, that, that excellent penis has been dropping. injected to death. So <laughs> three, we'll, three hours. Yeah. I'm curious to know about these full body systemic stem mm. cell injections that you're doing mm. for for many reasons i mean it seems yes. like you're trying to turn yourself into fucking a living wolverine where your body heals at a rapid pace uh i watched the telomere results change you know when yes. you posted that back on instagram and you know i've, I've spoken before about doing the telomeres test and having the insides of a 41 year old not a great look you know so is I'm, that what you tested out at for 41 i for, was 41 on the inside right. with uh, 35 so it's, a, it's a drop of blood they test the the telomere length of your white blood cells over a sampling of, of different white blood cells from a droplet of your blood and then they based on that are able to tell you the the biological age of your cells versus your actual chronological age and in my first test i i tested out at 37 when I was 34 years old, a biological age of 37 and a chronological age of 34. And the next time that I tested, I had a chronological age of 35 and a biological age of 36. So I was quite pleased, you know, via everything from, uh, you know, breathing uh, uh, special water at my desk to doing stem cells to uh, beginning to lay off the chronic cardio and the Ironman triathlons and take a little bit better care of my body. You know, a host of parameters. I can't say there was one thing. It's always multimodal. I was quite pleased to have taken a year off my off my age. I tested again when I was in my in my later 35s and I had gone down as low as 34. And then this last test, when I really pulled out all the stops and decided to take a foray into stem cells, right? Like and and more specifically, a systemic injection of stem cells. I can explain what that is in a moment, but I I decreased my biological age to 20. So at a chronological age, I'm 36 right now. I'm 36 years old, but inside I'm 20. And I, and I, and I can attest to the fact that I don't just show that I'm 20 on my blood cell analysis. I actually feel amazing. Now, knock on wood, when I arrived in Austin, I was a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how I felt from a fitness and, and, a, and a body standpoint. And then I got hit by a car, and I'm right now I'm at about a 
six or a seven. I, I may have a broken neck because we're talking right now. My neck and shoulder are completely jacked. You can see me. I've got you know big scar and look like I've been hit. But the even, the head. even your face but, to that note, even your face where you had like a fucking good shiner lip look, was busted up. I mean, you went face first thing. in the ground when, when I've been getting injured, I'm healing with exactly. extreme rapidity. And we're talking about scars, cuts, bruises, scrapes, uh, ligaments, tendons. And, and again, it's multimodal. You know, I've got BPC 157 at home that I'll inject subcutaneously and in, into different areas when, when they're injured, I've, uh, you know, I do clay masks once a week on my face to help to reduce wrinkles and, and maintain a youthful appearance. Uh, but I really think a game changer has been these these stem cells, which I've had injected into various joints that have given me trouble in the past. I, I had a back injury that just was was nagging me for months, and I did a, a stem cell injection in, into my spine, and my back feels amazing now. The systemic stem cell injections involve very similar to uh, Myers Cocktail IV, or I know you guys have people who come over here to on it to do IVs for you. Got you know glutathione and NAD, all these different things that you can mainline into your bloodstream, bypassing uh, gastric ingestion. You can do with stem cells as well. You can literally mainline stem cells into your bloodstream uh, with with a butterfly needle and an IV and you can uh, you can get these things systemically circulating through the body. Now, when I arrive home tonight, I've got a shipment of uh, two doses of my stem cells on ice that will arrive at my home tomorrow morning. They're kept in a, in a bank down in Florida, in a stem cell bank down in Florida. Those are extracted from the adipose tissue in my back at a clinic called the U.S. Stem Cell Clinic. And the reason that I've had them send me those is because I have this, I, I had a concussion, so I've got, I've got, you know, uh, post-concussion issues. I've got this injury in my neck and back. And what stem cells do when you inject them systemically is they travel to the areas that are most inflamed first. That's the area that, that they address first. So tomorrow morning, what I will do is I will take those stem cells and mix them with bacteriostatic water, the same as you would do for, uh, you know, for a peptide injection, like BPC-157 like BPC or TB500, exactly. And once I have mixed them with about 30 milliliters of bacteriostatic water, I'll put a butterfly needle into the, the cubital vein on my left arm, and I will inject them into my left arm, and then I'll do the same thing on my right arm. And I will literally have the, you know, I had those stem cells extracted when I was 34 years old. So I'll have the 34 year old me traveling in my body, but, but even more importantly than the, than the young me going into the older me, those stem cells will go to the area where they're needed most. They're undifferentiated. They will differentiate into the tissue where they're needed. They can cause neurogenesis. They can cause repair of brain cells. They can cause repair of muscle tissue. Uh, it's, I'm injecting myself because it's technically not legal for a physician in the US. I would have to go to Panama or or outside the US to have a physician inject me systemically, but I can inject myself systemically just straight into the bloodstream. So uh, that for anti-aging, that for advanced tissue repair, that for, for TBIs, et cetera, amazing. Now, the other thing that you can do, especially for the concussion and the TBIs, because I know you guys have a lot of you know, UFC fighters and, and, and MMA participants and folks who listen to this show who, who might be interested in this, is you can actually do intranasal delivery of stem cells mm. via, uh, it, it, it's, it's um, uh, what, what would the word be? Uh, not a, a you know, like, like like inhaling them nasally. Nasal when, spray. Yeah, like a nasal spray type of delivery mechanism. And that you can even do this with amniotic and umbilical stem cells. Uh, there's there's one guy uh, that I know of that does it, Reagan Archibald in Salt Lake City does it. I think there are a few other folks who do it. But uh, the studies in rodent models that they've done with this, you see some significant enhancements in neurogenesis and brain cell repair in rodent models. So that's another form of delivery uh, as an alternative to like a systemic blood injection. Maybe a bit more accessible to people too who don't know how to give themselves Maybe a bit more accessible IVs. or if you haven't banked your own stem cells, right? Or yeah, if you don't know how to give yourself an IV. And by the way, I still need to train you how to, how to do this so you don't have to work <laughs> with a nurse practitioner anymore. Uh, that you, you, can, you can do it intranasally as well. 
and, and, and especially if you're older and you haven't banked your stem cells, well, if you're 50 or 60, it might not be worth it for you to bank your stem cells because it's no longer the young you. You can still use these things like the amniotic or umbilical cells. There's a new form of stem cell that supposedly has as many of the, it, it, it becomes as many of the, the mesenchymal stem cells, which are the, the bioavailable form of stem cells that you'd actually want. And by the way, I don't, I don't profess to be a physician or a stem cell expert. I, you know, I pick a lot of this stuff up from, from the stem cell physicians who I, who I talk to. And so, you know, go speak with a physician. Do not misconstrue this as medical advice. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the form of stem cells that I'm referring to now are called exosomes, exosomes. And there's only uh, two people in the world that I know of that have done this, but you can actually do what's called a full body makeover where you have from uh, toe to head exosomes injected into skin, cerebrospinal fluid, muscles, joints, and you literally just, just reboot and reset your entire body. You go under general anesthesia, for, for the whole day and and have these these stem cells injected everywhere. And uh, what is it right now? It's May May 1st, May uh, 14th. I'll be going under general anesthesia in Park City, Utah and undergoing that procedure. So I'll be able so they to can do that stateside on that one. They do that, that one they, they can do stateside. This is at the clinic of a gentleman named uh, Harry Adelson. So when they put you under, are they going intravenous then, or are they going in certain spots that you require based intravenous, on intravenous, uh, intramuscular, okay. uh, into the joints, uh, so intraarticular? Uh, I'm not quite sure how much subcutaneous they do, but that for the skin, um, they can do the hair, they can do the face, pretty much everything so they could inject yeah. my receding hairline with stem cells and Every, possibly I'd everything start getting they, they could do that without putting it like you could get that done right now without doing the full body you know the full meal deal it's funny i say that because i really don't give a shit yeah. i know i'm gonna go bald and it's like fine i'd rather have my knees work and my shoulders work well, properly yes and, and own it because that it's a, it's a sign of, of a lot of dihydro uh testosterone uh mm -hmm. dht uh and that's something that is kind of uh, a conundrum for a lot of aging males who have high testosterone they go bald they go bald often when they're you know beginning up into their late 20s or their early 30s and they complain about this and what i say is well would you rather be would you rather be horny and virile and and muscular and have a lot of testosterone and go bald or would you rather be a you know cold skinny libidoless male with a full head of hair yeah, paul and check so, is bald he's yeah. been bald for years yes. he's 56 exactly. he had a son two years ago yeah and he's stronger than i am at yes. 56 exactly 20 so years older own it yeah own it like yeah. yes yes there you go that, that maybe that's what you guys should should have named on it is own it that. You should go check that URL, ownit.com. Since, yeah. since Own the Day came out, yes. that, that could be a that, nice that's switch. That's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it could go quite nicely with Aubrey's new book. Yeah. <laughs> nice yeah. pairing. Yeah. So what are the differences? I mean, you talk about, you, name, you mentioned the place, and we'll link to it in the show notes down in Florida. When you go there to bank your own stem cells, uh, one of the things I found curious when you're on Rogan's is that they can take stem cells out, but then they're actually growing them more. There's a way that they can help them reproduce on their oh, own. Oh, yes. Is that right? I mean, I, I right now I'm about 3% body fat, and I, I tend to, to maintain very low body fat percentage year round. Part of that is genetics, part of it is training. Uh, and and you know, I, I eat a lot of food, I just have a low body fat. I, I stay pretty lean, you know, for better or worse. And uh, it, it's interesting because my wife's, my wife's about 8 to 9% year round. So we're going to have very skinny ass kids with that's shredded with, uh, for a female, by the way, yes, like, like yes. medically, my wife is shredded yeah, and she shredded. does not work out. She gardens and she pushes a wheelbarrow and she takes care of the goats and chickens. And she works out maybe once a week to once every two weeks, plays a little bit of tennis and she is, she is freaking shredded. And that's just skinny Montana, hard rancher jeans, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's where she gets that. She's just always been that way. She doesn't miss her period. She doesn't have you know, female athletic triad or anything like that. She's just skinny. Anyways, the um, thing with the stem cells is they need a certain amount of fat to be able to extract. And I showed up at the clinic. They told me I should have eaten a lot more donuts prior to showing up. And they spent nearly an hour and a half with this big, long liposuction needle in and out of my back. You know, my back hurt for a couple of weeks after that just because they had to beat it up so bad trying to get the small amount of fat that I had left in my back out. 
but they need to have a, a certain amount of fat to be able to grow stem cells. And the, the less the fat that you have, the longer period of time they have to use uh, an enzymatic process to break down the fat and to concentrate the cells. And so that's what they did. It took about five months for them to even grow the fat that they got out of my back into enough stem cells for me to have approximately 30 injections available to me to use mm. in joints, to use systemically, however I would want to use them. I also went to Forever Labs in Berkeley and I had them put a, put a needle into my hip and extract bone. So I have my bone stem cells available to me as well, which can be used. The, the research that I've done shows that stem cells extracted from bone are actually a little bit better for that anti-aging effect for a systemic injection, whereas the, the mesenchymal stem cells that you get from fat are more concentrated and therefore uh, stem cells injected from your own adipose-derived fat would be better for aches, pains, injuries, uh, joint, you know, car crashes, things like that. Something so, local. Yeah, yeah, bo both are efficacious. But anyway, so so yes, they had to use a special treatment to actually concentrate the stem cells from the fat that they got from my body. And at this point in our conversation, uh, the FDA is trying to completely close down that clinic as well as most stem cell clinics across the U.S. So mm. uh, if you're going to bank your stem cells, A, do it relatively soon and B, consider storing them outside of the US. Could you store them could you store them at your own house in a refrigerator? Theoretically. Okay, but most doctors wouldn't sign off on that. I don't know how you would be able to do that. And I don't know if the process used to grow the cells would interfere with your ability to be able to just get them right away and store them in your own freezer. I see. But that would be pretty damn cool to open your freezer and next to your hot dogs and your ice cream have your stem cells. <laughs> those yeah. bone-in, ribeyes, exactly. grass-fed, grass-finished. Exactly. These are my steaks <laughs> and these are my cells, baby. <laughs> yeah, you're dry-aging the stem cells mm -hmm. right next to it, helping them grow a little mm -hmm. bit stronger. Uh-huh, yes. And then there's the day when your mother-in-law comes over and thinks that you've got whatever, I, I don't know, uh, but mistakes the stem cells for something and puts them into a smoothie and drinks your your precious cells. Yeah, I, I can no. totally see something like that happening. It's like, I feel 10 years no. younger today. <laughs> you look amazing, Grandma. You're glowing, yeah. Grandma. <laughs> so obviously this isn't cheap, you know, and there, but there are cheap ways. I like to give people both. Mm. What are some of the ways that we influence um, autophagy and, and the springboarding of new stem cells. The, the availability the, of what yeah. would be called a, a totipotent stem cell uh, systemically. There are certain nutrients and compounds that can do that. Uh, moringa is one. Uh, aloe vera juice or aloe vera extract is another. Spirulina and chlorella, you know, common superfoods that we find in algae-based compounds. Those are also very valuable to to include in something like a, a stem cell shake or a stem cell smoothie, you know, if you're going to do the ultimate longevity shake. Uh, coffee berry fruit extract, not coffee itself, but coffee berry fruit extract has some really interesting research behind it on its ability to, in, to, to induce or support the health of your own stem cells. Uh, colostrum is another one. Colostrum mm -hmm. is in there. Uh, so let's say moringa, chlorella, spirulina, colostrum, coffee berry fruit extracts, uh, um, aloe vera. Those are some of the biggies that, that come to mind right away. And the cool thing about a lot of those would be that very similar to limiting vegetable oils and sugars and eating a relatively anti-inflammatory diet, uh, cold thermogenesis, hot, cold contrast, a lot of these practices that reduce inflammation or, or kind of an in, enhance your, your vitality, these can also be used leading up to a stem cell procedure where you're going to get your own stem cells extracted, or your own tissue extracted to grow stem cells. So it's kind of a double whammy. You can use these if you don't have the, let's say, the money or the funds or the means to be able to to get your own stem cells taken out and concentrated. But you can also use these as a as as something you would do leading up to a stem mm. cell extraction to have even more healthy stem cells available to you when you do extract them. And fasting, fasting is a big one, right? Because that's going to mm -hmm. further get rid right. of cellular debris and clear out the exactly. old. Exactly. Cellular autophagy, uh, mm -hmm. protein cycling, meaning uh, low protein, especially on less active days, intermittent fasting or longer periods of time fasting. Absolutely. And I want to yeah. talk, that's a great segue because I wanted to ask you about that. The last time we spoke at your house, you talked about your father doing 
you know, longer extended periods with low protein. And for anyone in health and wellness, there are, or, or at least fitness for that matter, they're like, what the fuck do you mean have low protein? Oh, and there's sure. a ton of science yeah. that supports this. What are, the, what are the kind of the mechanisms behind that? I mean, it was recently recommended to me that I take at least one day a week where I'm under 15 grams of protein that mm -hmm. day, preferably on a day off. Yeah, yeah, you can't have your, your bone-in steak every day <laughs> well, it shouldn't be you know it's on the day where i'm crushing that, myself as that gym, is although you know? i have done that I, I i went two weeks recently just having one of those steaks for dinner every night so you know a little little twist on the carnivore diet with the with of course the modification and the bastardization being that i was still having my big old plant smoothie every morning and my big ass salad for lunch but then i was just having copious amounts of steak for dinner the, my father uh, joined the eastern orthodox church uh, when I was 16 years old and kind of went on his midlife crisis and, and got very deep into religion. And I witnessed certain periods of time when he'd come over to the house where he wasn't eating, uh, e eating any animal meats or he was on fish and egg and meat restriction or fish and egg only sometimes. Or he, he always had these periods of time when, when he would be fasting or restricting certain things from his diet. And when you look at the Mediterranean diet, you see the same thing, certain periods of time where there is great restriction of protein. And maybe it's not all the olive oil and red wine and goat cheese that they're consuming uh, as much as it is the certain periods of time where they are fasting and engaging in protein restrictions. As a matter of fact, most religions that have some component of fasting, not only have some component of fasting, but some component of not eating animals uh, and, and not eating a lot of these meat-based proteins. And the idea, of course, is to uh, is is to limit activation of mTOR, to limit constant insulin-like growth factor secretion, constant growth hormone secretion, because being in a constant anabolic state, as good as that is for libido and muscle gain and size and vitality and competition, fitness, it does fly in the face just a little bit of longevity and you need to strike a balance between living a long time and feeling really good and I, I don't think everybody should restrict protein all the time and just be cold and and uh and and libidoless and and hungry their whole lives but at the same time having certain periods of time or certain days where you restrict proteins appears to confer a, a longevity benefit and so in an ideal scenario, because you are going to need more amino acid availability on, on your hard charging days, you would choose the day that's, or the couple of days during the week that are recovery days for you or easy days for you. And on those days, you would have a protein restricted diet where, you know, whereas on a normal day you might be eating, I, I like a figure of about 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight of protein intake for active individuals. We don't see much of an added benefit once you exceed 0.8 grams per pound. Uh, mostly what you get is just added nitrogenous waste and, and too positive a nitrogen balance. The ammonia buildup. Exactly. Exactly. So the, uh, the, the figure that you'd want to shoot for on a protein restricted day would be less than 0 0.5 grams per pound. And so it's far less than that 0 0.7 to 0 0.8. And so, yeah, the, the longevity benefits are proven. And, and the idea though, is for active people, there would be just a couple of days of the week on which you'd want to do that. And you could also have that be a calorie restricted day, a carbohydrate restricted day, a protein restricted day, a day where you're doing lots of ketones and bone broth and, you know, some good fats, some, some minerals, electrolytes, teas, coffees, things like that. Yeah. It seems, it seems like it's harder to get people to sign up if it's a long-term deal, but I think that's where intermittent fasting is really more mm -hmm. accessible to people. I also find like a five, two diet where twice a week you're dropping your calories to 500 to a thousand. Right. And meatless Mondays, you know, like meatless, mo that's meatless a, that's Monday. That's a perfect example. So so a, a scenario for the, the average person who's just living a, a life where they can't escape to some pristine Himalayan mountaintop for a fasting journey or go off on a health retreat for a couple of weeks a few times a year would be A, you do a 12 to 16 hour intermittent fast every day, which is very simple to do. I do that 365 days a year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you name it. I will, let's say, finish dinner at 9 p.m. and I won't eat again until 9 a.m. Uh, at least, right? Like that, that's 12 hours and it's very simple because most of that time I'm sleeping. So A, a 12 to 16 hour intermittent fast every day. B, a 24 hour fast every one to two weeks, but it's a dinner to dinner, mm -hmm. right? So you finish Saturday dinner 
and you simply tell yourself, I'm not going to eat again until Sunday dinner. And really all you need to do is go to bed, not eat breakfast on Sunday, maybe have a cup of coffee, not eat lunch on Sunday. Perhaps it's a cup of bone broth, right? Or a kombucha or something like that. Then you have dinner on Sunday. And it's that simple to do that 24-hour fast. You get hungry about 1 or 2 p.m. on Sunday. That goes away. You string yourself along, get some work done, go on a walk, whatever, and then you're, you're, you're good to go by, let's say, you know, 7 p.m. for dinner on Sunday evening. And then finally, as you just alluded to, that one day a week where you just say, I'm not getting any meat. I'm going to have this be the protein-restricted day like a meatless Monday, right? So 12 to 16-hour intermittent fast every day, 24-hour fast once every one to two weeks, a dinner-to-dinner fast, and then that meatless Monday or that protein-restricted day at least once a week. And the only other thing that I would throw in there would be there's a, there's a really good book I read recently called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life. And it's a, it's a book based off Ayurvedic principles. And I've, I've been actually trying out uh, several of the things I've learned from that book. I recently wrote about it in a, in a weekly roundup that I send out each Friday from my website. And uh, in addition to, to some little things like, you know, uh, uh, tongue scraping as a, as a morning habit and, and some oil other pulling. tips. Yeah, oil pulling. Uh, the other thing is that there are three things in that book that he says will change your life forever. A, every single day without fail, work out before breakfast. Right, to jumpstart the circadian rhythm mm. and to ensure that, that you're getting a little bit of an emptying of liver glycogen stores and just going into breakfast slightly depleted. B, make your largest meal of the day your midday meal, which is very interesting. And there's some circadian biology principles tied into that. It means you're going to have a, a slightly smaller dinner and a slightly smaller breakfast, but that's B, is is making lunch a larger meal. And I've started to experiment with this. And, and as hard as it is in our modern society to achieve, it actually... It, it, it seems to be a, a pretty interesting principle that we see in a lot of these blue zones, you know, big lunchtime meal and then an afternoon siesta. And then the last one would be go to bed at the same time every night, go to bed at the same time every night, like 10.30 p.m., preferably before 10.30 p.m. because that's about the time that you need to go to sleep before that, that second adrenaline kick comes in where you're up till midnight or one. It's very interesting how the body responds to staying up slightly past 1030. So that's it. Uh, exercise before breakfast, uh, eat your largest meal of the day midday, and then go to bed by 1030 PM. And even more importantly, at the same time every night. So I know, you know, there's a billion things people could do. And sometimes it's annoying to hear all these different tips dished out and try this and try that. But I'm currently trying out some of the tips from this book. And, and those are three that I'm really trying to adhere to is exercise before breakfast, big midday meal, and go to bed at the same time every day, preferably before 1030 p.m. Massive, brother. Yeah. Well, there is a lot. I like giving people little tidbits and whatever mm -hmm. resonates with you, dive deeper. So mm -hmm. thank you for the yep. book recommendations. Yeah. Always a fucking pleasure having you here. We'll yeah. run it back again for certain. Yeah. It's been great. Where can people find you? Website, social media? Just, uh, just uh, Ben Greenfield. Just Google me. I'll come across some stuff. So Hit the Google bar. Yeah. BenGreenfieldFitness.com. Ben that's easiest. Yes. <laughs> Hit the Google bar and go, go eat an amazing steak. Awesome, brother. There you go. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you guys for tuning into the On It Podcast with Ben Greenfield. If you've got questions, which I'm sure you do, head over to BenGreenfieldFitness.com. And you can plug into the search anything you want to know about stem cells to anti-aging to supplements to different biohacks. He's got tons of blogs and articles written up with science included and a wealth of knowledge. Also, check out his podcast, the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast, and leave him a review. Leave us a review. Five stars, please. If you enjoy the show, thank you guys for listening.